Welcome to Happy Poly Days, a series of intimate conversations about polyamory, sexuality, identity and relationships, hosted by me, Leanne Yao of the Polyphilia blog. Welcome to day nine of the Happy Poly Day series. Today I am joined by Sky, who uh, goes by Femme Meow, and Nayeli, who goes by Anti Mononormative on Instagram. Uh, Sky is a bi demisexual femme content creator and digital artist who edits vintage pop novel covers to make them modern and queer. And Nayeli's account focuses on anti colonial perspectives on polyamory, relationship anarchy, and all that good stuff. Um, so, welcome to the Happy Poly Day series, Nayeli and Sky. Um, and yeah, my first question for you is like, what motivated um, each of you to kind of start your uh, your respective pages? Um, Nayeli, you can go first. Okay, well, hello, thank you for having me. So I, first off, I think I forget to like mention this quite often, like my actual like little background as like, as a person who am I? Um, so I'm also queer and indigenous. I should really put that in my bio sometime. Um, and I really just made my account in an effort to get more conversations going about non-monogamy and just the whole structure of mononormativity, like the whole social institution from like a very political perspective, because I, I feel like there's a lot of missing context for the history of how our relationships became stigmatized in the first place. And I really wanted to just start more conversations about that. Yeah, that's great. Um, and Sky, what about you? My page is just like a chaotic meme page that developed from my personal account in 2019. Um, but I think it's really beautiful because it kind of chronicles my like coming out and deprogramming from growing up in an oppressive cult. So um, I would not say that I'm like an educator like Nayeli. I love her stuff and I learn from her. Um, but I more just make memes as a way of like processing and recounting my experiences in polyamory. So I would love to hear more about, um, you know, your polyamory slash kind of relationship anarchy slash non-monogamy kind of um, origin story. So, um, you know, like I know both both of you like have like very, very different perspectives and, uh, you know, coming into this. And so, um, yeah, I would love to hear more about like how you came across it, you know, like uh, maybe like what were your early struggles like practicing or, you know, not not even early struggles, like, you know, current struggles, you know, like what um, like what, you know, you know, what what has what have been kind of the the benefits and drawbacks of practicing non-monogamy for you? Um, and you know, what are your anchoring reasons for for doing it? Um and yeah, just generally kind of just like sharing your personal story and um however much detail you feel comfortable. Um so uh, Sky, I'd like to start with you because um you've talked on your page before about how you grew up in uh Scientology. Um and uh, could you also explain like you know what Scientology is for some people who don't know? Um and yeah talk about kind of how you moved from that to like where you are today. Yeah so my parents were not involved in um the church at all. I ended up getting into it in like a kind of roundabout way and you have to remember I'm 29 like forget Tom Cruise on the couch and like all the crazy stuff that we know about Scientology now it's like the internet wasn't even really a thing back then so it was just this kind of like weird you know religion that people were like okay it's kind of weird but like, like innocuous um, and my mom got a job at this company that was run by and staffed primarily with Scientologists so her friends ended up being Scientologists and they had kids my age and then I ended up going to school with them so I ended up getting into like 
they don't call it like a Scientology school, but they use study technology and teachings from L. Ron Hubbard, who is the founder of Scientology. Um, even though it's not like intentional indoctrination, the fact that like 90% of the staff is Scientologists and like most of the student body is, mm. um, it's still very much rubbed off on me. Um, and there were just little things like absolutely it was just implied that, you know, homosexuality was, um, Ellen Hubbard quote, is quoted as saying it's an aberration against nature in Dianetics, which was like his first book that, um, you know, blew up and is what basically led to him founding Scientology. It's a crock of shit. It's literally just like psycho, like psychiatry, like with aliens and no founding, no foundational knowledge and like no leg to stand on. It's it's absolutely absolutely been debunked mul multiple times. Um, but like as I got older, so like in my senior year at this um, school that I was at, I specifically remember like in our debate team, we were debating abortion. And like, of course you debate abortion, you debate gay marriage. Cause this was in like 2007. Mm. And, um, the teacher allowed because she was a Scientologist, of course she allowed it. Um, one of my other classmates to like cite Dianetics in this debate as like proof that like abortion should be wrong and that homosexuality is an aberration against Whoa. nature. Like Owen Hubbard believes, he believes in, I call it um, sci-fi evangelicalism. I was just talking to Purity to Polyamory about that. Like I have a lot <laughs> in common with Christian people because it's like they believe the same shit just with more like cuckoo, like alien sci-fi shit, you know? <laughs> so he, he believes in, um, there's all these rules about pregnant women like on campus, if any of the teachers were pregnant, you're not really allowed to like talk around them in certain ways. You're not allowed to touch them because they believe that the fetus is like hearing everything and taking in everything. Oh my um, God. Yeah. So that's their like reasoning for being super anti-abortion. And then for being anti-gay, his justification is that um, he believes that gay people are covertly hostile. So there's a tone scale in Scientology and you 4.0 is like the top of the tone scale. It's called um, total intention, I think. And they believe like all Scientologists strive to be at tone, they call it tone 40, even though it's 4.0 mm -hmm. at all Like times. a GPA. So Structured yeah, homophobia, basically. interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's structured homophobia, and they also have. Um, that's how they also rationalize that um, mental illness is not a real thing, and that it can be cured with um, Scientology auditing. Because like anxiety and depression, they don't call it anxiety or depression, is on the tone scale. So if you find yourself there, you know, like I was describing, basically the symptoms of anxiety. I didn't know what that was then it was basically like, oh, well, you, you just need to get auditing. It was like, like psychiatry, any kind of auditing. Yeah, that's where you're sitting there with like cans. It's also like a crock of shit. And it's supposedly like measuring your energy and somebody's sitting across from you. Yeah, it's like a whole other thing. Oh, we didn't wow. actually do auditing at this school, but um, they had just stopped doing auditing at that school. Like, not that long before I went there. But um, anyway, so yeah, they believe that homosexuality can be cured. They believe that like queer people, gay people are at 1.1, which is covertly hostile. So basically 
yeah, that we are not genuine people that were like sneaky and evil. Basically, that's what I was taught. Um, so my best friend, when I was living in California, his older sister, um, I don't know what they had found, maybe porn or something. Um, and she like, I think it's really funny. I knew I was queer very early on. And like, I just think it's funny that queer people can like sense each other. Mm -hmm. And I remember meeting her and being like, there was a kinship there. I thought she was really fucking cool. I mean, she was definitely like more mask. And so I was like, oh, she's cool. And then, yeah, it came out that she was gay. And then she was just kind of like whisked away and nobody really talked about it. So they don't have like conversion camps, but essentially she was getting like intense auditing for oh my probably gosh. months and months on end in order to like try and cure her. Then also, I think that my friend whose older sister it was, I think that he is bi or queer. Um, he was very, very frustrated, very, mm -hmm. very frustrated. He had like a lot of emotional problems. And I think that he was queer and wasn't able to you know, explore that. And then it came out that his younger sister too, who also went to the school was also caught with lesbian porn on her phone. So she got kicked out of the school too. Wow. So okay. I, so there's, so there's just this epidemic of, you know, just like queer people kind of being kicked out or whisked away or taken away like around you. And then you're like also questioning your identity and you were like, oh my God. Yeah. So like, how did right. all of that, you know, like growing up in Scientology, you know, like all like these beliefs like being like pushed on you you know like kind of making you like like fear like who you were like fear kind of things about yourself like you know hate yourself like even yeah. you know like how did that kind of influence you know your beliefs about I guess like sexuality identity like relationships you know like how did that yeah. kind of come into it and um you know more importantly like how did you break out of that eventually I'm like I don't know if I ever did because there was like the Scientology programming but then there's also just the societal programming too, mm. like I was talking to um, Purity to Polyamory and I'm like, it, I mean, it still exists, but like, especially in the nineties, just the misogyny and, um, you know, the gender roles and all that bullshit and the Disney, you know, I grew up with Disney. So mm. just getting that like Disney indoctrination um, and then also Scientology is super um, sexually repressed, you know, sex negative, I was talking about like the card for me that pulled that where everything else just crumbled was fully accepting my queerness because right. once I accepted that, then you start questioning everything else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and I was in um, an abusive relationship when um, I pulled that card. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I don't know if you followed my content, but yeah, yeah. I was groomed by um, a 31 year old man when I was 19 and so that was like five years in that relationship and it's really shitty that like my origin story into polyamory is like really traumatic and mm -hmm. born out of abuse mm -hmm. but it was really my only way to like escape that relationship like he had kind of I had divulged where I was like you know I I don't think I'm straight like he was open about that and he was supportive of that which of course most men are because they're like low-key fetishizing it mm -hmm. yeah. um and he was like, yeah, if you want to like explore that, like, yeah, let's do an open relationship. And we didn't do like a joint account. I was like, no, I want to do this on my own. Like, fuck you. Like, I hate you. I would break up with you if I could, but I can't. So mm -hmm. um, here I am. And so, you know, I made it, made accounts and um, 
but this was back in the early days. I like ran out of women. I was getting really frustrated with like unicorn hunters and like people are looking for friends. And so I ran out of women and I'm like, okay, I guess I'll look for dudes. And then you just find dudes. They're, it's just so easy. And so, um, <laughs> yep. but, but anyway, I broke, I, I lied to him all the time, broke our rule. I, it was not agreed upon that I would be talking to men. It was just right. women. Yeah. So yeah, I lied about that and then just started being super reckless and going out and I was having lots of sex with <laughs> lots of different people. And it was a very like chaotic time in my life, but mm-hmm. I had never been able to do that and to just explore and be free. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was the card. And it really did just feel like everything started crumbling. I ended up finally leaving him. Um, I fully like came out and then, yeah, you just start questioning everything. Like I was having all these great connections with people and I was like, I don't want to choose and I don't want to do this again. I don't want to live with somebody. I don't want to do the whole dating and then like, oh, we say I love you. And then like, I'm so tired of it. Yeah. And I think that it's because I was in that super uh, oppressive, (laughs) restrictive um, environment for so long, you know, I'm not saying that I won't like live with somebody again, but it's a hard no for me right now. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. why I love um, solo polyamory and relationship anarchy is where I've landed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So, so Nayeli, um, I know that you generally kind of, uh, identify as like a relationship anarchist, um, and you know, like a lot of your content is like really spicy, um, which is why, like, I love it so much. <laughs> because, love it. Like you are getting to like the hard hitting kind of things, you know, like I think, um, you know, my, like I'm personally guilty of this myself, like me and a lot of other content creators, whenever we're talking about like, you know, um, when people are like, oh, is monogamy a choice? Is polyamory a choice? Like what is natural or unnatural? And like, you know, um, like, is it like a political political identity or is it just like a relationship style? And then I think a lot of us like really try to skirt around it because it's like, this is difficult to talk about, right? But then, no, you just get right to it. You're just like, it's <laughs> all info um, and like die mad about it. Um, and like, and I love it. Like, I think like your voice is so important um, and like really just like cut through like all the bullshit (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and so yeah like I you know what's your origin story like what what kind of um you know was there like a pulling the card moment uh, for you like like there was for Sky or like um you know was this always something that just kind of felt natural to you you know like what's your story yeah well first of all thank you because I I do strive to be like the one asking like the spicy questions you know (laughs) because like I created this account specifically to ask people the engage with the discussions that I don't see so that's great um okay so I think I have a rather unique story with getting to polyamory just because Mm -hmm. I still have never technically been in a long-term relationship with anyone and that's super uncommon in polyamorous spaces because a lot of people assume like that in order to be polyamorous you have to have a relationship with multiple people at the same time Mm -hmm. and for me I've identified as polyamorous and I've that's affected my dating life for the past two years I'm Mm -hmm. currently 22 I just turned 22 and that's still even though I haven't had any multiple partners at the same time like I still have had that shaping my dating life. It's like, I meet someone and it's like, hey, by the way, I don't want to do monogamy ever for political, Mm -hmm. personal reasons. And they're like, hey, bye. Like, you know, it's just an ongoing cycle. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I remember you made a a TikTok where you were just like, you know, everyone's like, you know, like like, I'm anarchist and all these stuff, but like, they don't want to share their love. Like the one thing that they want to share. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. Especially like with my generation or just with Gen Z in general, like everybody's starting to finally question capitalism and the long-term effects of colonialism. And they're all for that, you know, anti-racism, anti-capitalism, but then nobody wants to bring these ideas to their personal life. And I'm like, very interesting. Like on one hand, I understand why people do it. Cause I feel like if you look at the structure of mononormativity, like the whole reason why it was created was in a way to just commodify human intimacy. Mm. Um, and I think there's a reason why- and like, like that the right there. I love that yeah. embroidered on a pillow. Oh yeah, like uh, mononormativity. Yeah, I think I wrote it on a post-it the other day. Like sometimes I'll just, you know, um, I have really good ideas and I just write them down and then I find them later on. And I'm like, yes, this would be a great infographic. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think, the way I started thinking about mononormativity had to do with just my observations as a single person for most of my upbringing. So while I was in high school, I was that kind of person who just never really dated anyone. Like I did kind of want to, but I kind of struggled with um, just in general. Like it's, it's funny when I look back on it now, because it's not even that I had a lot of crushes and like, I just didn't connect with them it's like I struggled to even have crushes on people because I was yeah, like what's, yeah, what's yeah, the yeah. big deal like what's the hype behind monogamous relationships with people in your hometown like I just didn't really understand it um and I think it has a lot to do also with the fact that I probably I I, I consider myself to have like undiagnosed ASD I'm still very careful about like how I talk about autism just because I know there's like a huge a huge contextual like I saw an infographic about it today um somebody talking about like the reasons why there should be more people talking about undiagnosed ASD and like mm -hmm. how not everyone has access to diagnoses yeah and how yeah. just in general like I have a lot of colonial critiques about like the whole institution of western science and medicine mm -hmm. under capitalism so I could go into that like on a whole <laughs> other episode um but in general like I I do consider myself to be neurodivergent and I think that has a lot to do with the way I struggled with certain kinds of socialization growing up. And just the more that I was not actually engaging with monogamous relationships, it gave me the time to really just reflect on whether that was actually something that I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I think by the time I got to, I don't know, my like last year of high school, that was when I came out. And also my experience with like coming out as queer was like, um, I feel like a lot of people, they talk about like, oh yeah, like there's this one moment where I was like looking, thinking about girls and I was just like, yes, that was amazing. <laughs> and like I did have those moments throughout the years, but I feel like for me, it was really more of this realization that my, the only reason why I thought I was straight all those years was because people told me that was the default. And I was like, mm. wait, but I feel like I'm kind of pressuring myself to even have crushes on men. Like this doesn't even feel right. Um, so yeah, I think once I got the language for that in recent years, I realized that was just me kind of questioning compulsory heterosexuality. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think it was more just like, a, oh, I think I'm equally attracted to everybody or like, or gender isn't necessarily a determining factor. That's where my queerness kind of manifested itself. Mm -hmm. um, and with polyamory, it was more of me realizing that monogamy just didn't quite makes sense I think it's it, it was the experience of just seeing it not work for like everybody around me and I'm like obviously the structure itself isn't like inherently bad and like monogamy can work and people can be in lovely 
romantic relationships with monogamy it was more just the way people would blindly go into it Mm -hmm. even though the outcomes were always very similar and I was like why does everybody keep doing this um and then I started learning about the historical reasons why people got into the family structures that we have now so like the whole history of settler colonialism trying to commodify human beings and put them into different family structures because it's easier to manage bodies that way really specifically like with black and indigenous people in the U.S. too like they experience very unique um erasure of their ancestral family structures through that yeah yeah for sure so yeah so I think in college as an undergraduate I was studying critical gender studies Mm -hmm. and that also really changed things for me because that was when I was really um encountering this history firsthand and having discussions with other people about it and even though we never actually talked about polyamory like we would discuss like the history of um you know people getting put into families that like monogamy was central to all of that. And also capitalist development in the US was also relying heavily on the way people would build families and they would encourage reproductive, um, just general reproduction between people. And in order to reproduce, you need heteronormativity. So like everything's just connected. And I think what I really have been doing in the past few years is um, thinking about heteronormativity and mononormativity in very similar ways. And Mm -hmm. I don't disconnect them from my anti-capitalist and anti-colonial critiques mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah it's like I I just kind of it just kind of happened like I I am polyamorous I think I would be like solo poly if I had any partners at the moment right now I just kind of live in a city where I don't really want to date anyone here <laughs> so uh, maybe <laughs> in the future I think maybe once I move to a different city things will change but right now I'm just I'm just here. I'm just vibing. I just, I like to critique things. So <laughs> that's me. Yeah. Like I remember you, uh, you re- solo poly, if you don't have other partners, I mean, that's why I liked it because I was single for so long. And when people would be like, Oh, you're polyamorous, but you don't have partners. And then I would just say, well, I'm self-partnered always. Like mm. I am my own mm-hmm. partner. Always. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think people need to also talk about like their relationships with themselves and how that develops. Cause I think like, even when I will have more partners um, in the future, I still think like my own relationship with myself, how that developed is still like the most important relationship mm-hmm. that I've had so far. So in that's general, how more I love fucking with here. monogamous people because they'll be like, oh, I'm monogamous. I'm like, well, but like you have a relationship with yourself still first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So technically you're That's not. True. <laughs> 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 but I mean, yeah, no, I feel like people, a lot of monogamous people get into relationships and do just become this blob, this hom- homogenous structure. And I'm yeah. like, you two are still separate mm-hmm. people. Like you're still your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and it's, it's, um, it's really interesting kind of, cause I have, I, I, I definitely relate to some bits of your, uh, your story, Naomi, where like, you know, um, I didn't have this like big realization about being queer. It was just kind of like, oh, um, mm-hmm. I like guys. And then at one point I was just like, maybe I like girls too. I'm gonna go try yeah, that out. And then I did. Exactly, yeah. And then I was like, oh, I like them too. Cool. <laughs> and that was just, that was, that was just it really, you know, like I didn't have a whole like <gasps> kind of moment, you know, cause um, yeah, I mean like de- my, my family is definitely like really homophobic. Like I think to this day, my, my mom is still like in the very, very much in the camp of like, 
uh, like I I accept but I don't agree which is mm-hmm. we're not really accepting at all no. um but but it is what it is you know um and um but I was very fortunate to have like you know been um like I, I I you know I watched a lot of like American TV like growing up like in, in Hong Kong and you know like even though like my school was pretty homophobic and my family was pretty homophobic like the media that I immersed myself in was very much not um, and then so like I didn't kind of develop like as much kind of like you know like internalized homophobia as I feel like I would have otherwise um, and so then you know coming out as queer for me it was just kind of like okay well this is a thing um, and mm-hmm. you know the, cool I guess <laughs> which is not to say I've had difficult you know I've not had difficulties after that right like obviously you know we still live in like a heteronormative society but um mm-hmm. I definitely in terms of kind of dealing with like the internal stuff you know self-acceptance and all of that um you know I think I was very privileged to have like avoided most of that just because of like how <laughs> like I isolated I isolated myself just like watched watch a lot of tv and read a lot of fan fiction um <laughs> which is um in I a way just kind of like- shielded myself that excites me so much for Gen Z and the next generations that like, like my partner's, I guess it's his second cousin actually, but they're like nieces and nephews mm-hmm. is 12 and she's very much queer. And like, I've kind of just adopted her, <laughs> but, um, but like, she didn't have to come out to her mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh-huh. Scarlett, do you realize like how lucky you are? Like, I know I sound like a boomer right now, but like, <laughs> it's amazing and like I am so jealous of you that you Mm -hmm. just got to like come home and Mm -hmm. tell your mom like oh I have a crush on this person and like didn't even disclose the gender of the person because like it wasn't a thing like you knew it wasn't going to be a thing Mm -hmm. so you know I just had absolutely no media representation no escape no hope for anything Mm -hmm. you know and so I just it makes me so happy to see like like yes, write that gay fanfic. Put it out there. Like, <laughs> I wish I would have had that growing up. Yeah, Man, no, I, 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 I wrote gay fanfic. I wrote gay fanfic <laughs> when I was like thirteen. You know, like I was like reading it by when I was eleven, and I was writing it when I was thirteen. Um, mm. You know, like <laughs> mine was just in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, like I think um, I, I think the internet provided some kind of great spaces for me to explore that. And mm. even though I didn't really realize I was queer until. I was 18 I was just like a very enthusiastic ally like until <laughs> I was 18 um <laughs> like <laughs> um but but yeah like you know like um I I definitely you know was in an environment where like I could like explore and I do you know I do hope that um that to be the case for you know people kind of you know younger than me right like so you know me like me and I like, we're both on you know well I'm on like the cusp of Gen Z like you I feel are firmly mm-hmm. in Gen Z you know I'm 23 yeah. or 22 or, like I'm a 1998 baby you're uh, 1999 right um mm-hmm. and so like um but but yeah you know culturally I'm very like I'm very Gen Z like definitely that more so than millennial um and um yeah like although there are definitely kind of some like slang uh and stuff that I don't get and I have to definitely look look through the TikTok trends and go like what the hell are they saying (laughs) um but uh you know I have a lot of I have a lot of hope for for the future um but on the flip side though um uh, Sky like I know that you know one of the reasons why like we you know we decided to kind of uh, do this do this particular um episode I guess um was because of like a trend you'd been noticing in your TikTok comments from, um, you know, kids who are currently, you know, younger teenagers, I guess, like what you call like generation like alpha, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, would you yeah. like to kind of talk more about about like what you've, what you've observed? 
Yeah. Um, so with like, I guess, older Gen Z people are just pretty solidly Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see kind of like this awakening, like having the realization that kind of what Nayeli was talking about, like bringing that anarchism into um, relationships and mm. just queering your entire life, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like pulling that queer card and it just applies to everything. But um, this younger, younger generation, um, I find is very anti-polyamory, pro-monogamy. Um, and in a really, um, if you're spending time with this person, then you're not spending. And I, I feel like it's this, again, capitalism, like commodification of time. And I got into a conversation with somebody where I was like, I, I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. Like, do you equate, like, what is what is a, um, a portion of love to you? Is it like an hour spent to you equals like this amount of love? Like, how are you measuring that in your brain? I, I genuinely was trying to understand because I don't work that way. You know, I'm also neuro, neurodivergent. And that was kind of another awakening for me after I had like my first queer relationship. I was like, that was only two months. And that was like more deep and more profound than like my four year relationship, you know, with a man. <laughs> yeah. So so just this like fixation on time and um, and energy, I think goes hand in hand with, we, we are selling our time and labor and our bodies to capitalism, mm-hmm. you know? So of course we're gonna th- bring that thinking into love. And um, yeah, it's not so much like a moralistic thing a little bit, um, but yeah, just kind of that 180 again, like we're getting back to, oh, I could never do that. Oh, I value commitment. So I would, I could never, love multiple people Mm -hmm. oh I believe in not sharing my partner like that kind of rhetoric is showing up in my comments from very very young people and Mm -hmm. I don't debate them because they're you know 12 years old but it's just really (laughs) it's really disturbing and I and I really hope that you know I don't know I I hope that they just come out of that I mean I was a dummy at 12 too I'm like we all are we're 12 years old like I shouldn't you should not have internet access at 12 years old but um (laughs) hot take (laughs) I (laughs) but I think that like it's really interesting for me that you guys were talking about or Nayeli was talking about how you didn't fall for that you know monogamy bullshit in high school and I love that for you I definitely did um I mean I used my I used my boyfriends as um obviously a way to solidify my straightness and um as social capital Mm -hmm. definitely um Mm. but uh I don't know if you guys have heard that Esther Perel quote where she said monogamy only exists in reality it doesn't exist in the past and it doesn't exist in our minds and I kind of remember like having that moment in my mind like I had been indoctrinated with the Disney indoctrination but I had witnessed all these people getting divorced around me mm-hmm. my entire adolescence. And like in high school, everyone is just fucking everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like completely normalized. They're like, so it's okay that you waited two weeks before dating Brittany and then moved on to Ashley. But like, why couldn't you have just done that at the same time? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that's the thing that cracks me up about monogamous people. But I'm hoping that that like maybe sets off some light bulbs plus, you know, the influx of, um, better representations of um, non-monogamous relationships. I'm hoping that will help, but yeah, it's just a very weird trend to see. 
yeah like and I remember like you know in the in the creators group chat like when you brought this up I was like whoa like that is so interesting and then yeah like I think you said something along the lines of how like you know um because of like the climate emergency and just like generally you know all this general global unrest that's been going on like I think that that has like a big impact on um on like the psyche of you know like young teenagers today and you know maybe that's kind of influencing like their beliefs Uh, I'm not going to speak on your behalf though Nayeli can you kind of just uh basically kind of uh say what you said back then because I thought it was a really interesting point honestly I don't even remember exactly what I said last time I feel like like all my ideas like they're just they're all connected somehow so um but in response to what Sky just said um yeah I think an issue that well honestly I'm not too worried about like these young kids like you know everybody talks shit about things when they're 12 like they'll be fine like once they actually have to move out of their parents house and reality hits them they'll change their minds right um which is also why Gen Z I think is getting so radical it's like once you're confronted with the reality of late stage capitalism some light bulbs Mm -hmm. go off right Um, But I do think it's interesting how I feel like each generation, like their whatever ideas about what relationships should look like um, their parents had and how they fit into that narrative of like whether their their family is broken and if they see it as a broken family or if they just see it as non-traditional, but they don't see it as inherently flawed, like that totally shapes like how Mm. you're going to, what you're going to think about relationships. Because I feel like a lot of younger kids right now they don't understand the full structure of why everybody's relationships are a disaster and like for me I understand that it's because in a way we're kind of also in late stage mononormativity honestly mm-hmm. um it's like we're starting to realize Ooh, another that spicy this- take Yeah, it's like we're starting to realize that the structure of mononormativity also Mm -hmm. doesn't benefit us and it doesn't benefit us in the long-term resistance against all these other oppressive structures that we're trying to undo. So Mm -hmm. I think as more people start to realize the mechanisms of all that, you'll start seeing how your decisions in your personal life are also connected to everything else. And if people don't understand the larger picture, they just see like, oh, well, I see that my parents are divorced and that's really shitty and that affected me as a child, which is also like, I like my parents are divorced. I'm just saying like as an example, Um, Mm -hmm. like, you know, people see like, okay, this is what my life looked like and historic, like from what I know, the solution to this is that my parents should have stayed married or they should have picked the better people to stay married to but in reality that's just conforming to the standards and that's a way to reform an inherently oppressive system which is yes. mononormativity so yeah that's another thing like i need to make an infographic about this sometime because like i feel like um what was i going to say like modern monogamy is technically a reformed version of really ugly um, human commodification of bodies, specifically like femme bodies, um, like a really horrible version of monogamy that was established like many years ago. So Mm -hmm. in a way though, you can't just get rid of like the original dynamics of it. Like at the end of the day, a lot of people started normalizing monogamous relationships because they needed a way to build patriarchal structures and they needed to know that like this child is my biological child and like there's just you know so many other factors um like the patriarchy does rely on monogamy in a way um so that's another thing to think about but yeah 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 Yeah, I talked about too I did a TikTok on um how capitalism loves monogamy specifically toxic Mm -hmm. monogamy I'm like 
can you guys imagine, like, just think about all the media that is created that centers around toxic monogamy, all of those rom-coms, mm-hmm. those big, you know, cinematic every pictures, song on the radio, every song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, also just, um, you know, fueling that insecurity in us to buy more things, to do more things, to compromise in my mm-hmm. opinion, um, to be loved and to buy into that dream. And then, yeah, you're buying a house together and you're buying a bunch of shit together. And then you have a kid and you buy a bunch of stuff for them. And then if you mm-hmm. get divorced, you buy another house. And it's just, yeah. it is, why so much buying? Hand hand. Why so much consumerism? Why so much buying? <laughs> yeah. yeah, why aren't we and sharing Valentine's the Day, You know, like right. you could be talking yes. about Valentine's Day and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, it's wild. It's super wild. Um, you know, like something uh, when, when you mentioned Jasper Perel, uh, Sky, like that kind of reminded me of something else that I wanted to address. You know, if we're going to be talking about like, you know, the current like state of affairs and, 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 you know, like what's going to be going on in the future. Right. Like, you know, as I'm sure you've, you've both noticed, right. Like this year has been like a really big year for polyamory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in terms of like getting kind of awareness of polyamory, um, like into the media, like as into like the zeitgeist, right. Like, you know, there have been way more articles about uh, like non-monogamy and opening up your relationship and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff this and year than there have ever been. A lot been of them are before. bad. And unfortunately a lot of yeah. them are bad, but it is something right you know <laughs> there trying. are things that come from psychologists yeah. too yeah it's such a bummer <laughs> yeah but like you know it's been it's been like a huge you know cultural moment i feel um i mean you know even in like i started my page like a year ago and then like sit you know in the year that i have been running this page like so many new kind of pages have popped up like in in mm-hmm. in that time like talking about this stuff right um and you know like I, I, I do think it is no coincidence that it happened at the same time as like, you know, COVID. late stage pandemic, I guess. Late stage capitalism, late stage one. Like what year are we in of the current um, Yeah, but I, I don't think it's an accident that like, you know, as countries open up, open up relationships have been opening up. And it reminded me of the phrase that Esther Perel uh, said one time, because so Esperal, um, like, you know, her work is, you know, informed by, like, her experiences kind of growing up in, in, in a town that, you know, was affected by, like, the Holocaust and, you know, like, people, like, still kind of having a lot of that uh, intergenerational trauma, like, from all of that, from, from kind of that experience. And uh, something that she talked about was how... Um, because you know a lot of her work is based in like infidelity and how, why people cheat and you know like mm-hmm. a desire in long-term relationships and like how to cultivate that and how like monogamy um you know isn't like the best structure uh, like for quite a lot of people and that kind of thing right and one of the things that she said was how um infidelity was uh in some ways an antidote to death um, and while she was specifically talking about infidelity in this case, um, and I do think that like the, a lot of the wisdom that she says about cheating uh, can apply to uh, kind of non-monogamy and polyamory, um, because like, you know, she says things like, you know, when people seek like an outside connection, like outside of like the mm-hmm. pair bond, the dyad or whatever, you know, sometimes it's not so much that they're looking for another person, but they're looking for they're like looking another for version of themselves. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, um, and then, you know, regarding the, what she said about the antidote to death, it's like um you know she noticed that in her, like amongst her clients um a lot of the people who came to her with like cheating stories like usually these stories happen immediately after like someone in the family died or like someone mm-hmm. someone experienced an illness like someone like developed terminal cancer um and um and then so you know like 
the infidelity was a way for them to like feel alive again almost and kind of Mm -hmm. because like that kind of the shadow of death like made them think like is this it you know is this who I'm going to be with like for the rest of my life and it makes them question everything and that's why you know they like they cheat which is you know really tragic you know it's it's super tragic but um you know like I and that makes me think right like I wonder if this is what it is you know like the pandemic you know people like dying all around us is making people Mm -hmm. go like wow, you know, I'm in this marriage and, you know, this is it, you know, like I might die like, you know, in, in a month or, you know, less than that, you know, like what, what what's going to happen? And that kind of instability is making people go like, oh shit, you know, you know, are there other options kind of? And it's so weird. It's really weird. <laughs> um, and I think also probably like a good amount of it is also just like, maybe people are stuck in lockdown with their spouses and then realizing they hate them. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Which I is, think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's I mean, also an I element of that as a well. A lot of it, too, I think it's like a perfect storm, and I'm yes. so excited to see mm-hmm. it. Um, I love that I am such an Esther Perel stam, if it is Same. not clear. <laughs> Same. Um, yeah, absolutely love her. And like her TED talk on cheating, I feel like I'm like, I don't want to give her too much credit, but at least for me, I think that was like a cultural card in the House mm-hmm. of Cards. Yeah. Because I'm like, finally, we're fucking talking about it. Like, mm-hmm. can we talk about the fact that cheating is like so normalized and so stigmatized and like how it's a symptom of like a broader issue, like the problem with toxic monogamy? <laughs> like, I, it just needed to be said. Everything that she said in that TED talk, I was just like snapping the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And no, it genuinely is just like mind blown, like yeah. know, every five seconds, like genuinely, like. Yeah. Yeah. And then her, on her podcast, too, which is one of my favorite podcasts ever, you know, mm-hmm. she posts recordings from her sessions. And I think it like is so earth shattering to hear other couples be so vulnerable and have those like realizations in real time kind of what you were talking about talking about like what the what the affair meant to them acknowledging what it meant to the other person and um I just don't think we've talked about relationships that way it's always Mm -hmm. been this understood like taboo you know like yes cheating is a thing but like we can't condone it or we can't question like why is this happening so much so yeah I credit her with so much with like how we're having those really tough discussions now and opening the door for monogamous couples to have even have those discussions like because of toxic monogamy that's what I say when I'm talking about cheating is that people are put in this impossible situation because you can't even have that conversation with your partner you it's it's a betrayal and like a shattering of self even to admit that you've experienced attraction exactly exactly Because because then you are telling them our relationship doesn't matter. I don't love you at all. Nothing that we did mattered X, Y, Z, all this bullshit. And it's just not true. So, yeah. So a lot of people who are cheating are not bad people. I have cheated and I have Mm -hmm. been cheated on and both feel not equally shitty, but shitty in their own ways, because you're doing this in order to protect your partner, but you know that it's wrong and you know that you're hurting them. It's just this impossible situation. Yeah. And, you know, like I've got like a, you know, related to that sky. I think it's actually very pertinent you brought this up because I've got a post coming up. Uh, it's already on my Twitter, but, you know, I usually post my Instagram posts like much later than when mm-hmm. I put out my tweets. Right. Um, like I basically wrote a thread of like the the one time that I cheated in a relationship um, and how, you know, like I'm not proud of that choice, but I do feel that like it was a justified necessary evil. Um, mm-hmm. and it's definitely spicy it's definitely a very spicy thread yeah. Um, yeah. but like you know I get like you're gonna to bring... definitely get some hate on that one but oh yeah. Okay. yeah 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 but um, okay. 
you know, like I definitely kind of want to bring light to um, how like cheating is a very multifaceted issue like it's not so mm-hmm. black and white and I think like one of the one of the most like things that like Esther Perel said in her talks was the victim of the infidelity is not necessarily the victim of the marriage mm-hmm. um and that like how like, well some yeah and just yeah and she talks about how it's important to not have the binary of victim and perpetrator mm-hmm. and like we need to just get rid of that and look at it at the like the multifaceted situation that it is yeah yeah absolutely and so yeah anyway like we all as the Perel stands she's great I you know I like I think if <laughs> there was I like do. one yeah if there was one person who I would like no, sit down at dinner no. it would be her what I was gonna say like I I do appreciate Esther Perel's work although I do see Esther Perel as more of like a mononormativity reformist and not yeah. an abolitionist I know so she's that's where Kim Talbert comes in though because yeah. Kim Talbert is full-on like okay we need to abolish this um so yeah I do <laughs> yes. relate a little bit more a lot more to Kim Talbert's work but I do think yeah. that Esther Perel's work is really good at like introducing people into thinking about these concepts like in a greater yeah way. yeah I think you need yeah. people on all sides of kind of that right because like you, you I think if you like chuck people in the deep end like a lot of the people mm-hmm. are just going to be like Ugh, no but then I think mm-hmm. like as the Perel like while I, com- I completely understand what you mean by like mon- mononormativity reformist I think like she straddles that middle point that kind of gets people to like mm-hmm. you know sit on the fence a little bit more and then <laughs> and then we, and then we yeah, can push them sure. to the other side <laughs> Um, I mean, like, you know, we had that same argument, uh, we had the same kind of discussion when, uh, uh, remember when I posted that, like, right-wing yeah, article, article, like, in, from Aquilette mm-hmm. or, like, whatever it was, like, in, in our chat, and then we were all just collectively losing our minds over it, because it was this right-wing <laughs> person, like, talking about, um, like, talking about the benefits of polyamory, but from a very, like, pronatalist and, like, heterosexual yeah. perspective, and just going, like, yeah, but you can still have, like, your dyadic marriage, and then also have these things or benefit, like, mm-hmm. the di- and it's just, like, why are we focused? on yeah. the couple still like what is going on um yeah that's yeah yeah, that's yeah. Just yeah general, i think like, people mm-hmm. oh i Sorry. was, I was gonna say, say like <laughs> no like i just i think that like naeli and i can probably relate to that too like why i am so turned off by most like polyamory content or even like main accounts because they are all either mm. like dyads or triads yeah and very still like the language and everything is very mononormative and yeah I just it's don't still very reformist yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I agree it's like a lot of times I think especially like the media's obsession with triads is all about just trying to reform polyamory into yep. mononormative standards so yeah it's, it's like really mon- just, monogamy plus one yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes exactly it's like they're still have they're still perpetuating a lot of the same like capitalist and colonial ideas mm-hmm. about like having ownership over people's bodies if it's like an exclusive toxic thing um so yeah it's like it's not that different but also like the media would never actually talk to like any of us so it's no. like about these things so yeah but but like in a really yeah mononormative way like I was at um a party with or whatever social gathering so it was like friends of my partner friends of friends he's not really that close with her I say that because like I just don't really like her that much <laughs> and, she, and, and I was overhearing this conversation she is very like a monog and I can just tell that she doesn't like me either because I am very much just like 
you know, like (laughs) queer polyamorous, like fuck everything. And I know that that's like a threat to a lot of people's whatever Mm self-concept. So um, anyway, it was just like overhearing this conversation. She was like, yeah, Brad and Kimberly or whatever the fuck their names are. um, They have an open relationship. And like, but, but like it, it makes sense. Like they're doing it the right way. Like they have a contract and like, they're not allowed to do this. Like they're not allowed to have sleepovers. She has to approve everyone, Um, blah, blah, blah. And she's listing all these things, just veto power, unhealthy rules and restrictions. And I had to say something. I was like, that is immoral. Like what they're doing is wrong and it's not going to last and they're going to break up. (laughs) She she was just like, no, like it's really healthy and blah, blah, blah. And then I kept overhearing and yeah, she has this new partner and it's like total new relationship energy and she's getting lost in it. And her partner is getting upset and she's already broken all these rules on their stupid love contract. And I'm like, how many times do you guys need to do this? It's giving ethical (laughs) non-monogamy. It's doing unethical non-monogamy yeah yeah no like there are definitely so many things where it's just like okay like you can have agreements but then if if if, the moment you try to set rules around feelings you are setting yourself up for failure um like unless you're in you know um you know like that's what I realized because like when I was in you know my my first kind of non-monogamous dynamic was like your standard open relationship you know sexually open but not romantically open and then um and and I very you know over time like I very quickly realized that like you know I I didn't want to just kind of have like meaningless hookups and one night stands all the time in in order to kind of avoid like building like a more emotional like romantic connection right (laughs) like I um you know and what I realized eventually was just like (laughs) like why am I why am I kind of getting so getting so like getting my knickers in a twist over um (laughs) over over like you know, my, my partner also like having a deep connection with someone else, like it's fine. It's literally fine. And so, you know, um, yeah, like I, I kind of moved from just general non-monogamy to, to polyamory, like over time, because I was just like, this is silly. Like, why, why are we worried about this? <laughs> like, you know, because like, the, I know so many, so many couples who like have like a sexually open dynamic and they only, you know, engage with other people at sex parties or like, you yeah. know, you can go on, you can go on dates, but you can only go on three and then you never see them again. Um, and yeah, and it's just like, blows my mind. Yeah. Like, that's uh, where my asexuality comes in because I just mm-hmm. could never do that. Like, I just, I need a, an intimate connection with somebody before I sleep with them. So mm-hmm, it just. Mm-hmm that rule would never work for me. Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like, you know, like, I, I think that um, currently, like, everyone is just questioning a lot of things, you know, like, I think, you know, throughout the pandemic, uh, when people have not much to do, and they're stuck at home, and they're lost in their thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, so many people, have, like, I have three friends come out as trans to me in the same week. Um, like, <laughs> um, and, you know, so many people are realizing that they're neurodivergent, because like, their routines are crumbling around them, and they're mm-hmm. like, fuck, um, and they don't have like, the same coping strategies they did anymore. <laughs> um, and then, you know, like, a lot of people questioning monogamy and going like, oh, my God, you know, like, uh, we're in this kind of global crisis. And yeah. like, like the you know stuff needs to stuff needs to change because you know clearly um you know I, I feel like there's less uh I think you know monogamy is very rigid in some ways and it doesn't you know when when kind of circumstances change then it doesn't allow for like a lot of flexibility I definitely think that non-monogamous dynamics um 
uh, they offer more like fluidity and versatility and resilience right like through mm-hmm. um you know through like various circumstances in a way that I personally feel monogamy does not yeah I feel like it's really interesting when people say that like monogamy feels more secure to them because it just feels the exact opposite to me yeah yeah I like to use like, and analogy. I hate that phrase uh, oh okay I want to hear your analogy because I hate saying like putting all of your eggs in one basket it's icky. I use I a table analogy actually okay go okay. on if you have I- I a table <laughs> yeah so I like to describe it as like if you think of your partners as your support system your emotional support system who fulfill all of your needs let's say that's how you sustain yourself if you are a table and your partners are the legs so if you ever encounter a situation where you lose part of your emotional support system you lose one of the legs on the table um, and you have like three other legs on the table who could be your other partners, you'll be okay if you lose one of the legs. Um, you can still sustain yourself. That's a much more sustainable structure. But if you are in a monogamous relationship where you have one person like fulfilling mm-hmm. all of your emotional needs and yeah, something yeah. happens, something happens to that one leg of the table, the whole thing comes down. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's particularly the case if like, you know, if, if you're one of those monogamous dynamics where like you're not allowed to have close friendships outside of it. Right. Um, because like fulfill mm-hmm. like emotional cheating um, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then... Yeah, like, you know, so like there's like the common kind of uh, joke, right? Like, oh, yeah, like he's got a girlfriend now. We don't see him anymore. He doesn't come and hang out with the bros. And then like right. uh, that relationship blow- blows up and he doesn't have any friends. And, you know, like, it's and this is so common. This I think is so that common. that just plays in again to late stage capitalism and why we are all so fucking lonely. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that that's what really radical radicalized me and why like my polyamory and relationship anarchy is absolutely a part of my politic because like at this point in time the last thing that we need to be doing is isolating like we need to be Mm -hmm. forming intimate connections of all kinds and relating to people so that we can fucking organize and overthrow capitalism (laughs) so it's, it's just so upsetting to me like it actually it was the closest like to heartbreak that I've felt in a really long time. And it was like, not a romantic relationship or anything. It was just like a guy at work. And I was like, Oh my God, like we were just chatting and like bonding. And I was like, we should grab a drink sometime. Like I like hanging out with you. And then this like look came over his face and he was like, I don't think my girlfriend would like that. And I was like, Oh God, (laughs) what? Subtle ways mononormativity breaks your heart on a regular basis. (laughs) Right. And I was just absolutely devastated. And I almost went into this thing too. I was like, first of all, like, I'm going to assume that you guys have some, some stupid rule that you can't hang out with like girls. And I was like, well, I'm not really a girl. Like I am in like a very queer way that your girlfriend and probably you don't understand. (laughs) So like technically we're like outside of that gender rule as it is, but that's the most, that's the most neurodivergent response I have ever heard. (laughs) You're like, technically I'm not opposite gender. So I'm just other. Yeah. But I just wanted to shake him, you know, and be like, I know you want to hang out with me too. And like, how is this not hurting your soul? to say that and like how are you not having this realization how like oppressive that is so Mm -hmm. um it's just really it's it's upsetting for me and I always joke about with monogamous people I'm like are y'all really monogamous or are you polysaturated with one person because Mm. we have no free time under late stage capitalism Mm. and I think a lot of people are getting radicalized by that because they're like girl I don't have enough time for even one partner and I'm like 
why? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I have to work so yeah. much. And I'm like, why? Okay, yeah, there yeah. we go. Yeah, the no, and I think, yeah. To anti-capitalist pipeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and I think it's super telling that, like, whenever I talk to people about monogamy, um, Oh, sorry. Whenever I talk to people about polyamory, like the main, uh, the main kind of justifications that people have for like saying like that's why they practice monogamy or that's why they don't practice polyamory, they always say like I could never share my partner or mm-hmm. I would get too jealous. So notice that both of these things are to do with like their partners having other partners, right? Mm-hmm. Like both of these statements are to do with I could never deal with my partner having other partners. Notice they don't say anything about like whether they would be able to handle multiple partners because like yeah. I do think that most people are like this is my hot take and I've been saying this for a very long time. I think that most like monogamous people are like almost kind of coerced into monogamy because like they like they themselves want to have multiple partners but because they don't want their partners having the same freedoms then they mm-hmm. force themselves into monogamy to coerce their partners to also be yeah. monogamous right like yes. most people most people aren't mm. monogamous because they actually like only desire one partner be. that's why people mm, cheat yeah. because yeah. they want to have that but then they don't want their partners to have the same freedoms that's my exactly. hot take um historically hot. exactly I, how it was reformed to like it's like oh okay well women couldn't have multiple partners so now i'm gonna have my man also not have multiple partners like that's literally how the whole transition historically uh, happened so uh, it's just having men holding them to the same standards yeah so, yeah yeah rather than yeah. and it's funny because it's like we should have gone in, in the opposite direction instead of women going like yeah well, we've had to be monogamous this whole time so you have to be monogamous yeah. as well it's kind of like no i want the same freedom you do. <laughs> give me yeah yeah exactly <laughs> give me all that <laughs> and then Nayeli, did you do you feel like it's like the advent of modern birth control for women that shifted things or was kind of like I think that was a yeah. factor, yeah. Yeah. I would yeah, say. that kind of yeah, probably. Um although it's also how the under like settler colonial governments how they wanted to build our families like even if we didn't have birth control today if we had a matrilineal matrilineal um communal way to support our children things would still look really different we wouldn't have such focus on monogamy either so it's mm-hmm. like birth control plays a factor but also like if we reimagine every other aspect of our society mm-hmm. um that also wouldn't even be an issue so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, you know like hence like you know on remodeled love love's page like you know what question that that just gets quite a lot is just like who's the how father how do you know that that's your kid yeah yeah and so it's why just like why father, is everyone though? focusing on this yeah like, why oh, does it matter yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, shouldn't you care about every child in the every society child? anyway? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, why does it matter if they have your blood? Don't you want them to have a house, be happy, mm-hmm. not have any emotional neglection? Like, there's just, like, a general, like, why do you only care about your biological kin anyway? Like, yeah. we need to shift to non-biological kin. For sure, Absolutely. for sure. Well, yeah. I think, like, that's all we have time for today. Um, but this has been... Like we covered so much like in this hour, you guys. Like, oh my god! <laughs> I know. Like, you know, we talked about like Scientology. We talked about uh, kind of late stage mononormativity. We talked about like how the pandemic influenced all of this stuff. Like, we talked about like, oh my god! You know, this has been such a rich conversation. Um, and yeah, like, thank you for joining me on this. So, uh, so uh, Nayali, where can people find you on various platforms? Yes. So I have. Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. My Instagram and TikTok are at anti-mononormative, and my Twitter is a slight variation because I could not fit into the character limit, but you can find the link to my Twitter on my link tree on TikTok and Instagram. Okay, um, and Sky, where can people find you and your art? Um, so my art account is pulp. F-E-M-M-M-E-O-W, pulp, like pulp novels. That's also my Twitter handle. 
On TikTok, I'm femmeow underscore. And then my meme shit posting account is just femmeow. Okay, beautiful. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, and have a great day. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happy Poly Day series. If you'd like to support my work, consider becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash polyphiliablog. You can also follow me at polyphiliablog, P-O-L-Y-P-H-I-L-I-A-B-L-O-G, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter, buy my polyamory merch at polyphiliashop.redbubble.com, or book a peer support session with me on my website, polyphilia.blog. Until next time!